Well, amen. Thank you, choir, orchestra, worship team, and leading us in that time of singing praise to our Lord this morning. Revelation chapter 20, if you have your Bible. Revelation chapter 20, verses 4 through 6 is my text for today, and I want to speak to you on this subject, the first resurrection. You might entitle this message, The Resurrection of the Saints. So I want to talk about the hope of resurrection that we have uh, as the people of God. So before we dig into the Word this morning, I want to ask you to join me in prayer. Let's ask God to bless this time and speak to us and, and to give to me the ability to communicate with clarity His Word this morning. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for <clears throat> this day that you've given to us. I am thankful to gather with my church family that I love deeply. I am thankful, Lord God, for each person in this room. I'm thankful for those who've engaged with us online. I'm thankful for those who've used their gifts this morning to lead us in song in a time of praise to you. I'm reminded of what the Word of God says in the book of Colossians and verse 16, chapter 3, verse 16, that we are singing with grace in our hearts to the Lord. And so thank you, Lord, that we sing because of your grace in our lives, because you have given to us eternal life. And so we gather on this Lord's Day to celebrate that, to celebrate you, and to hear from you so that we might continue to worship you by obeying you. And I ask you today, Lord God, to help me in my weakness and give me power from the Holy Spirit to enable me to deliver the Word of God with great clarity. And I pray to have that in mind also uh, and in delivery. And I pray, Lord God, that you will give every person here ears to hear what you have to say. I ask, Lord, that you will allow our hearts to burn within us as we're reminded of the hope that we have in store for us. I pray that it encourages us to love you more and to live for you every day and to keep you first. And maybe even today it's something that convicts us to turn from sin and complacency and worldliness to follow you, Lord, with fervency. I pray, Lord, you might even touch the heart of one or two or maybe more who are listening online or in this room that need to, by faith, receive Christ today. And so I pray that that would happen. So, Lord, please put your hand on me now and use me in Jesus' name. Amen. Revelation chapter 20, verses 4 through 6. And we're talking about the first resurrection. Have you ever read a book... And as you got started reading the book, you got quickly uh, invested in the characters of that book. And you really just all of a sudden liked those characters. And then you come to a scene in that book where things get a little dicey for them. And you're not sure if one or more of those characters that you've become very invested in and you really like might be written out of the book because they, they die or something really bad happens to them. And you get all nervous about it. And you're thinking, oh, man, I can't believe this is going to happen. So what you do is you flip over to the back of the book. And you see if you can find their name there. And you see if you can kind of figure out if they're still there. And then when you find that out, you're relieved. And then you go back to where you were. And you pick back up reading again. And now you can enjoy it a little bit. You're not as stressed because you know everything is going to turn out well in the end. How many of you have done that before? Anybody in here? Some of you are lying, but you've probably done it. Well, listen, we're going to face difficult times while we're here on this earth. 
There's going to be times of great peril we face, times of tribulation and trial, times when we look around us and we see uh, the wickedness that is uh, involved in our culture and we think, you know, it looks as though wickedness is going to prevail and we get discouraged sometimes. And what we need to do is just flip over to the back of the book and look how things end and be encouraged. The Word of God teaches us that there will be a day when the Lord Jesus Christ will return. He will right wrongs. His people, those He's redeemed, will be raised to have new bodies, glorified spiritual bodies, and we will reign with Christ. We will serve Him, and He will establish an eternal righteous kingdom, and we'll live with Him forever and ever. And so we are encouraged because we know how things end. There's something in our culture today that's said often. People will say, and they're usually talking about some social issue, and they'll say that they want to make sure that they're on the right side of history. The only way you'll ever be on the right side of history is if you surrender your life to Jesus Christ and you live for Him. That's how you're going to end up on the right side of history. Not all, but most Christians will die a physical death. And they'll do so at different times. They'll be at different ages. Some will be very young, and it'll be such a tragic thing when it takes place. Some will be middle-aged, and that will be a bit tragic too. And then some who will live to a ripe old age, and their bodies will deteriorate with age until they die. The Bible lets us know as Christians that when we die... We're absent from our bodies, that is, the part of us that makes us who we are, leaves the body and arrives in the presence of the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says, We are confident, yes, well-pleased, rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. But God's plan for us is not to, for all eternity, be in a disembodied state. His plan for us is to resurrect our bodies reunite them with our spirit and change in an instant these bodies of ours to a glorified spiritual body, one like the Lord's. The Bible even tells us in 1 John chapter 3 that one day we're going to be like our Lord. We're not going to be deity. There's no way that could ever happen. We're going to be like Him in the sense of having that spiritual body and some of the uh, characteristics of of pure holiness and those types of things that will be evident in that spiritual body that we're going to receive. For Christians, we have a glorious future. Early Christians were very meticulous in how they cared for the bodies of their departed brothers and sisters. They cared for those bodies and prepared them well and buried them carefully. They did so because they had a strong belief in a physical resurrection. And they believed that these bodies that they were planting in the ground or in some tomb would one day be raised again. I often think sometimes when I'm doing funeral services for those that I know are in the Lord and with the Lord, and I think to myself, this will not be the last time I see this body. It's the last time I will see this body in this condition, looking as it is, be much different when I see it the next time. The Word of God says a great deal about resurrection. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says, 
At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since, the nation, since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, there's an entire chapter devoted to defending and demonstrating the reality of bodily resurrection for Christians. In Philippians 3, 20 and 21, the Word of God says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to His glorious body, according to the working by which He Himself is able even to subdue all things to Himself. We don't preach much on the coming of the Lord these days or the resurrection of the saints these days. And I've said to you before, I think there's a couple of reasons why that we do that. One is, uh, in the church today, there are many different viewpoints about what we believe will happen in the end. And sometimes even in one congregation, there'll be many different viewpoints about eschatology. And so, uh, therefore, teachers sometimes just stay away from teaching about those things. But that is not something good to do. There's going to be differing viewpoints among Christians, and we can agree to disagree and still love one another and fellowship with each other. And certainly I think that every pastor who is charged with leading his congregation needs to be sharing the Word of God and talking about end-time things. And so that's why that I, I do that, and that's why I'm going to do that today for a little while, and I'm going to teach it from my perspective, what I believe the Scripture teaches. But a second reason why I believe that we don't talk much about the coming of the Lord and that future resurrection is we're afraid that people are going to think we're weird. We're, we're afraid that people we're trying to reach out in the world are, are going to think that we're a bunch of wackos who believe in all this mythological stuff. And so we really do desire to appear intelligent in the eyes of the world. Now, let me tell you something this morning, and many of you have years on you and you are, you're wise and you know what I'm about to tell you. Now, I'm going to hit this hard the next service, especially among those who are coming here right now that are preparing for ministry. If you are a person preparing for ministry or you're just a Christian, which all of us are involved in ministry, and it's your desire to appear intelligent to the world around you, then you're in a dangerous spot. You're in a dangerous spot because you are willing to compromise. So you will appear intelligent in the eyes of those around you instead of proclaiming the truth, which the Word of God says is reasonable. <laughs> and so what we're called to do is to live out and proclaim the truth of God. And one such truth is that of the truth of the resurrection that is to come for us. One of my favorite passages that deal with this resurrection is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. And the Word of God says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with Him those who sleep in Jesus. 
For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Now our text for today, Revelation 20, verses 4 through 6. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. And then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now, the main idea that I want to get across today is the hope that we have in this future resurrection. And I want to give us about four reasons for this future resurrection, why God has chose to, done the, to, to do this in the future. In God's Word, we find that there's going to be two resurrections, one of the righteous and one of the unrighteous. Jesus said in John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear His voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. And so the Lord said there's going to be a time when there will be a resurrection of the just. There will be a time also when there will be a resurrection of the unjust. In Luke chapter 14 and verse 14, the Lord Jesus said, And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. The Apostle Paul said in Acts chapter 24 verse 15, I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. Now, these do not happen at the same time. They happen uh, separately. Verse 5 of chapter 20 says there's 1,000 years in between these two resurrections. Also, Scripture teaches us that there are many categories that make up that first resurrection. The Lord Jesus Christ Himself begins what is called the first resurrection. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 23, he is called Christ the firstfruits, speaking of him being the firstfruits of that resurrection. We also find something very strange to me that's always intrigued me over the years in Matthew chapter uh, 27 around verse uh, 52. The Bible tells us that when the Lord Jesus died on the cross, there was a great earthquake that took place in Jerusalem and their graves, many graves were broken open. After the resurrection, 
many bodies were resurrected. And these were bodies of the saints. And they walked into Jerusalem. I think it was a precursor of the coming resurrection for the people of God. Then there is the coming of the Lord for His church, recorded in the passage I just read to you a moment ago, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. It's also uh, recorded in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 through 55. And it's when the Lord comes back for His church, and, and the Bible lets us know that the dead in Christ will be raised, and they're going to be raised incorruptible, 1 Corinthians 15 says. Then there is also a resurrection of two witnesses in the middle of the tribulation period in Revelation chapter 11 and verse 11. And then in the passage that we've just read, there are those who were killed, those who were martyred for the testimony of Christ and for living out His word. They were beheaded. That is, it's a word that means to be killed with an axe. It's what that word actually means. So they were, they were killed because of their testimony for Christ. They're, they're Christians. So they're, they are martyred in the tribulation period and they are raised, verse 4 teaches in Revelation chapter 20. The Bible also tells us in uh, Daniel chapter 12 and verse uh, 1 and 2 that Old Testament saints are raised also after this great tribulation that will come on the earth. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the passage I quoted to you and read to you a moment ago. The Bible teaches us that, of course, when Christians die, as I said a moment ago, their souls go to be with the Lord. And one day when He comes for His church, the Word of God teaches us that He will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God. And He will bring with Him those who sleep in Jesus. To sleep in Jesus is a euphemism for death. And so they have died, their souls are there, and they come back with Him. And the Word of God says, the dead in Christ are raised first. Again, bodies are reunited with souls, and they're changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, Paul says to the Corinthians, and they're given a glorified spiritual body. Now, I know I'm weird, but I like to go out into the graveyards where my family are buried and ancestors are buried because in about three locations in my home county in North Georgia, within about five miles uh, from each other, there are three graveyards at churches, well, actually two graveyards and one cemetery, uh, two of them are at churches, and, and my family, many members of my family are buried there, many ancestors, going back to some four great-grandparents being Great, 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 great grandparents being buried there. And I think sometimes when I'm out there, because many of them have been passed down through the family, have been the testimony of their uh, walk with Christ. And I think about that resurrection day that will come one day, as the old folks used to say, the great getting up day. <laughs> and I think about sometimes what it would be like on that day when many of these are getting up together, many of them of the same family. <laughs> And then ultimately, and more importantly, they're members of the family of God. So I picture that glorious day when the Lord returns for His people. Now I want you to notice something in your Bible. If you'll look with me in verse 19, and, or chapter 19, verse 1. 
The Scripture says, after these things. Now, he's just been shown a vision of Babylon the Great, the world system coming to a crashing end because of the judgment of the Lord. And then we see a change of scenery here in verse 1. After these things, it says. Now, look over in verse 11 of chapter 19. Now, I saw heaven open. Now, look down in verse 17. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun. And then look at chapter 20 and verse 1. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven. Verse 4 of chapter 20. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them. Now, do you notice something here? There is, to the natural reader who would be reading this text, maybe for the first time, a natural progression of events that are taking place. This emphasizes the chronological order at this point of what's taking place. What happened first here in chapter 19 is the second coming of Christ, verses 11 through 16. And then we see in verses 17 through 21, He execute judgment, executes judgment on the unbelieving and the armies of the Antichrist or the beast or the man of sin as He's called in Scripture. And just with a word, the Bible says that He strikes them with a sword from His mouth. He speaks a word. Maybe He says this, drop dead. <laughs> and, and they do. In chapter 20, verses 1 through 3, Satan is bound for a thousand years, which is the length of the millennial reign of Christ. Now, let me just say to you that the thousand years, um, sometimes brothers and sisters in Christ don't see that as a literal thousand-year reign, but believe that is a symbolic reign, and it actually is the time period in which we live right now. And they believe that the coming to life of the uh, saints here really is regeneration. They're being saved. And then they, they reign with Christ in a spiritual sense because He's also reigning in a spiritual sense in the current age that we're in. And a thousand years is just a, is symbolic for a period of time. Maybe 3,000 years, maybe 5,000 years. And then Christ comes uh, at the end of that. But, but I believe that this is a literal... Uh, 1,000 years. And there are several reasons for that. And I'm not preaching on the millennium today, so I, I'm not going to, uh, to give you a, a, a long dissertation on this, but I have lots of reasons why I believe this. But let me just give you some basic things just to help us today uh, in understanding this passage. I, I believe the plain reading of this text demands that it be 1,000 years. I mean, if you're just going to sit down and read this, what you'd think is the Lord Jesus is going to reign for a thousand years because it says it six times in about seven verses there uh, and emphasizing the literal nature of this. From my studies, I've discovered that the early church, the early church fathers for the first 300 years of the church uh, had a belief in a literal 1,000-year reign. Papias actually recorded that many of the apostles gave testimony that they believed in a thousand-year reign. Uh, it is believed that he himself even heard the Apostle John speak on this. Polycarp, Bishop of Smyrna, was a disciple of John the Apostle who wrote down the book of Revelation. And Polycarp believed in a literal 1,000-year uh, reign, uh, having heard the Apostle John teach on this. And there are many others that we could talk about uh, that give testimony of that. Early Jewish tradition 
held to a literal reign. And it varied with the Jews. They would, some believed 600 years, some 700 years, some even 7,000 years. But there's a good record of tradition, uh, and it's very old also, uh, where rabbis taught that Christ would reign for a thousand years before he ushered in his eternal uh, kingdom. The scripture says here that Satan is bound for a thousand years, and those who do not believe in a literal reign believe that Satan is figuratively and symbolically to some level bound right now. And so he cannot deceive the nations to the point where uh, they will not accept the gospel of Christ. And so uh, there's that belief. That's what this binding means. But if you look in the, the Word of God here, it, it says that Satan is taken and placed into the abyss. It's closed and it's sealed. This speaks of and emphasizes an absolute, complete lack of influence whatsoever on the earth. And the Bible tells us right now in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 19 that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 calls Satan the god of this age and he blinds the minds of some so they do not respond to the gospel. Now we could talk more about these things, but I think you get the point. I believe the evidence points to a literal reign. And there will be people who are alive when the Lord Jesus returns with the armies of heaven, including the saints of God, and they will be the first occupants of this millennial kingdom in which He will rule over on this earth. And the Bible tells us that Christ reigns completely. It is a complete political and social reign. The Bible describes how He will rule with a rod of iron. That does not appear to me like what's being ruled today. There seems to be a great deal of wickedness today. As I said a moment ago, some believe that the resurrection here speaks of regeneration that occurs. But the word resurrection that's found here is used 42 times in the New Testament. And 41 of those 42 times, it means a literal, physical, bodily resurrection. Only one time does it not, and that's in Luke chapter 2, verse 34, where Simeon says of the child Jesus that he will be the responsible for the rising and falling of many in Israel. So what will take place one day is, I believe, there will be a future literal kingdom where the Lord Jesus Christ rules on this earth. And what's so amazing about this is the Bible also tells us that those who are redeemed of the Lord by the grace of God will reign with Christ in that kingdom. But that reign of ours will not end in that millennial kingdom. The Bible tells us in verse 5 of Revelation chapter 22 that in the eternal kingdom, the new heaven and new earth, will also reign with Him. I don't even know what all that means. I don't know what all that looks like, but what I do know, it is good. It is good. Now, why would the Lord God raise us in such a fashion and give to us spiritual bodies? Well, let me give you at least four reasons in these next few minutes. Number one, to experience eternal joy and holiness. The Bible says in verse 6, blessed and holy are those who participate in the first resurrection. That word blessed there means it is most simple definition to be happy. It speaks of joy. It speaks of the kind of joy that is a spiritual gift from God. It is something that He gives to those that He's redeemed. 
The Bible tells us right now that we're to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Paul wrote to the Philippian church in chapter 4 and verse 4. The Scripture teaches us in John chapter 15, the Lord Jesus said, Abide in my love. And here's how you do that. You keep my commands. And if you do that, my joy will remain in you. Do you know right now that Christians are capable by the grace of God to experience the most wonderful and powerful joy that any human being can ever experience? But we simply don't do that sometimes. And you know why? Because of our disobedience and because we don't seek after the Lord. We're too distracted by the world. We don't give God the time of day that we should. And we're poorer because of it spiritually. But the Word of God teaches us that in the eternal kingdom, because we have eternal bodies that are not prone to sin and discouragement and distraction, we will be so focused on the Lord and constantly obedient to Him that we will experience the greatest level of joy anyone could ever experience. In Psalm 16, the Bible says that in the presence of God, there is pleasure and joy. So God will allow us to experience perfect joy because He gives us resurrection bodies and He dwells with us. But also, the Bible says that we're holy. Now, this is something we're called to be right now also. The Bible says that 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15, that we're to be holy in all of our conduct because the one who called us is holy. But you know what? Right now, we face a lot of struggles, don't we? We face all kind of temptations. We find ourselves falling into sin over and over at times, and we find ourselves uh, becoming disappointed in ourselves because we're not obedient like we know we should be so often. But we're going to receive one day a glorified resurrection spiritual body that allows us to be holy. No longer tainted by sin, no longer kissed by the curse of sin, no longer prone to temptation, no longer longing after sinful things, but always longing after what is right. We live as broken people in a broken world, don't we? Man, are we not in a wicked time. Our children today are being discipled by our culture. Many Christians are being influenced by it. Our entertainment industry, even our political system, so much about our country today and the world we live in is so tainted by sin. Let me give you two examples of this. Last week... <clears throat> that the Grammys were on. I have not watched the Grammys, and I don't know if I ever have, to be quite honest with you. I saw a meme on um, Facebook where I had um, a person taking a hot sauce and pouring it in his eye, and it said, I'd rather do this than watch the Grammys. <laughs> I thought, well, I like that one. I just That's me too. But anyway, so I, I got to hearing what happened on the show. There's a, there's a singer by the name of Sam Smith, and probably some of you heard about this and maybe saw it on some news uh, program or something, but he, he, he sang this song and there's this choreography that went along with it. He's dressed as Satan. And then all the dancers are dressed as Satan and they're scantily dressed. Many of them are very seductively dancing and they're coming around him as though they're worshiping him. And the song was very, I mean, I, I listened to a clip of it. I saw a clip of it, part of it. And I, I tell you, my spirit within me began to set off alarms. 
And this is an example, a perfect example of how the cultural entertainment of our day is actually discipling people toward destruction. And then I watched the State of the Union address, and I listened to our president. I'm not getting political here. I'm just going to state some facts. And our president got to one part of his State of the Union address, and he says that Congress ought to do something about the fact that Roe v. Wade was overturned. And he said, we're going to fight for reproductive rights. And he said, if Congress passes a, ban, a national ban against abortion, then I will veto it, he said. Reproductive rights. You mean kill a child made in the image of God? Is that maybe what is meant? We don't even know how how we've slipped down the slippery slope of morality. I've even seen Christians these days who begin to backpedal on abortion and they, they see the backlash of culture after Roe v. Wade was overturned and they'll say stuff like, well, what about all these children? What are we going to do with them if they're not aborted? How are we going to feed them? And all? Just listen to that. Seriously, listen to what we're saying. We're saying what we should do is euthanize the child because we think we can't feed the child. A child made in the image of God. And so we, we are, in so many facets of our culture today, we are touched by wickedness. We ourselves are prone toward it. We really are. If we just admit it, there's an old hymn that talks about that. And, and we just, we wonder, we're prone to wonder. But I'll tell you this, one day we're going to have a resurrection body and we will not wonder at all. The only wondering that we'll be doing is spelled differently. It'll be wondering with an O, and we'll wonder at the glory and grace of God is what we'll do. I am, uh, I don't know if y'all have been keeping up with what's happening at Asbury uh, University and Seminary, <clears throat> but since chapel on Wednesday, there has been what they're calling a, a revival, a move of God. Uh, I, I hear people talk about that sometimes, and I hear their definition of it, and I don't think it's really a revival. This one seems to have some markings of revival because what's happening here is people are repenting. They're confessing sin. So ever since Wednesday, they, there's been an ongoing chapel service, and, and people are coming from other places. And this happened in 1970 also in the Jesus movement. I've been thinking a lot about the Jesus movement uh, here lately. Uh, and in the Jesus movement, <clears throat> it, come, it came right after the sexual revolution began to take off. And suddenly, God sent an awakening. And many people came to Christ. Can you imagine what this country would be like today if, the, if God had not sent the Jesus movement when He did? And now I see what's happening in our country today. And, and I think, you know, the sun may be setting in the West. <laughs> There's a pun there, I guess, but and I'm talking about the end may be near for us because if we keep going the way we're going, you cannot sustain yourself. I mean, you just can't. The only hope for this country and any others, for that matter, is a spiritual awakening that God would send, and I pray for it to happen. But if He chooses not to do so, my hope is not bound up in a spiritual awakening. My hope is bound up in what I know is to come.
that one day the sky will roll back. And the Lord Jesus Christ Himself will descend to this earth and He will destroy what is wicked and He will right what is wrong and His people will reign with Him. That is my hope. There will be no more brokenness there. There will be no more temptation there for those of us in resurrection bodies. No more depression there. No more heartache there. No more suffering for us. I want you to listen to these verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Remember now that's the resurrection chapter. Verses 42 through 44. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. That is our sin-cursed body. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. The shame of sin always affects us, but it's raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, and oh, how weak we are, but it's raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised up a spiritual body. There is a natural body, and there is a spiritual body. He raises us to experience eternal joy and to be able to experience eternal holiness. Secondly and quickly, we will experience eternal life, not death. And that's why He gives us an eternal body, one made for eternal life. And the second death has no power over it. Those who experience the second death are those not written in the book of life. It's those who've not responded to the gospel, those who reject Christ. They'll be placed in the lake of fire forever. Verse 15 of chapter 20 tells us here. But those of us who have been saved by the grace of God, we've been justified by Him through faith in Jesus Christ. And we are forgiven. And we will not suffer the wrath of God, Romans 5, 9 says, and 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. And He gives us bodies that are enabled to experience the fullness of eternal life, beginning with a reign on this earth, Revelation 5.10 says. A third reason for this resurrection body is that we'll experience the presence of God and we'll serve Him for eternity. God's plan is not for us to be disembodied souls that, that um, are serving Him, but those who have full spiritual bodies to be in His presence. Do you know right now if you and I were thrown into the direct presence of God and these sin-cursed bodies would be killed in an instant? Could not stand the power and glory of the Lord. But He gives us bodies meant to be in His presence because verse 20, chapter 21, verse 3 of the book of Revelation says, He will dwell with us. And there'll be nothing more pleasurable than being able to dwell in the presence of God. 1 Corinthians 15, 50 says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. So He gives us an eternal body to be in His presence. Verse 6 calls us priests. What do priests do? Well, they proclaim the message of God. We do that now, 1 Peter 2, 9 says that we're a priesthood that proclaimed the praises of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. The Word of God says there. We're going to do that also in the millennial kingdom. But then also priests are in the presence of God. And so we're going to dwell in His presence. But then priests also serve Him. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to serve Him forever. 
Do you know right now, if you serve the Lord and you use your gifts and you do it for the right reason because you love God and you love others, do you know that it will make you more fulfilled than anything else you can ever do on this earth? And one reason why many Christians are so unfulfilled because they're not using their gifts. They're not serving the Lord. They're too busy with other things. But forever and ever, we will be able to have the most effective, unboring, adventurous life forever and ever serving the one true God. The Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 22 uh, that, that we will serve Him. So what an incredible privilege it will be. And He gives us bodies made to be in His presence and to serve Him. But then finally, we'll experience an eternal reign with Christ. Verse 6 says of this text, and also chapter 22 and verse 5. Notice in verse 4, the Bible says that judgment was committed to them. Verse 6 says, and they shall reign with Him a thousand years. Do you know that 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2 and 3 tell us that, that, that the people of God will rule the nations and will judge angels? In verse 3, I, I don't know what all that means. I just know it's in this book. I got some ideas about it. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 12 says, We shall reign with Him. Revelation 2, 26 and 27 says, He will give us power over the nations. And then the Bible says, He, speaking of Jesus, will rule with a rod of iron. And there are many other verses that speak of this. The Lord told His disciples that they would rule over the twelve tribes of Israel. I even believe there are major parables in the Scripture that teach us to be faithful to our Lord and that to some measure our faithfulness to Him that He enables right now will result in how we rule and reign and serve in the eternal kingdom. Now there's a whole lot I've just said to you today and it can get confusing sometimes but let me just kind of Summarize it by saying this. It is going to be good. He raises us to experience life with Him. And what a privilege that is. Right now, you and I face uncertainties. We face disappointments and heartaches. We face tragedies and trials while we're on this earth. We, we see evil run rampant sometimes, and we just think, as I said a moment ago, we think sometimes that maybe evil is going to win, but we really know better. Our story gets scary and difficult on this earth sometimes, but what we need to do is remind ourselves what, what's in the back of the book, <laughs> how the story ends, and take comfort. And praise our Lord for the promises that He has given to us. Maybe today as a Christian, you would say, I have just simply not been living my life the way that I should. I have been, I have been too caught up with the things of the world. I've been too distracted. I have allowed sin to creep into my life. And, and what I need to do today is I need to confess that. I need to... I need to stop that. I need to repent. I need to, to, to follow the Lord. I need to put Him first. I need to worship Him in all aspects of my life. I need to take this message of hope to others around me, make that a part of my life every day. The Bible tells us that we're to stay alert because the day of the Lord comes like a thief in the night. 
What that means is he's encouraging Christians to stay faithful and don't compromise and don't give in because one day that judgment is coming. Stay faithful. Stay faithful. And I encourage you to do that, brothers and sisters. And maybe today you're all discouraged by things going on in your life or by what you're seeing take place around you. You watch the news and get depressed. Just remember what the back of the book says. And let's live right now for our Lord and give Him praise for what He has done for us, for His glory. And then maybe there's some in this room today or some online, and what you would say right now is, and the Bible tells us that those who are part of the first resurrection, the second death has no power over them. And maybe some of you are saying right now, well, you know what, I, I don't think I'm part of that first resurrection because I've never received Christ. I've never turned from my sin and called on Him to be my Lord and Savior. But you, you know right now that the Spirit of God has, has put that on your heart. And so what you should do right now is repent and surrender your life to Jesus. Call on Him to be your Savior. And He'll save you. Maybe some need to be a member of this church today, and I would invite you to come. We're going to stand to sing in a moment. The altar is open to come and talk with the Lord about some things He said to us. If you need to respond today and receive Christ as your Savior, I'll be right here. So come to me and say, I need Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You, Lord, for this Word. I thank You for how You used it to encourage me, and it really has, Lord. Uh, thinking about it and, and then thinking about, Lord, just all that is going on, Lord, and uh, at Asbury right now has sort of lit a fire in my heart. And I just pray, Lord, today that you have encouraged your people and maybe even corrected your people, Lord God, to, to live with a new sense of hope, uh, to turn away from sin that we've allowed to creep in. Lord, I pray for those who need to be saved today to know that with clarity. And Lord, I pray during this time of invitation they will surrender to you. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand, please. Thank you.